Welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I am joined by Katie. Katie and I met on TikTok. She has been engaging my content for about the last year, and she has had such an objective, solid point of view on the conversation that we've been having. I've thoroughly enjoyed her commentary, so I invited her onto the podcast to share more about her experience. Katie, is there anything you would like to say as you introduce yourself to listeners? I am incredibly excited to partake in this discussion. Grew up in a really awful, toxic marriage. There was no infidelity with my parents as far as I know, but the level of tension, hatred, toxicity running through my parents before and after the divorce, I feel is very relatable for how spouses feel after discovering an affair and how that kind of high toxic situation can really affect your kids. I'm really passionate about it. I'm almost, I'm in my mid thirties, so I'm just still deconstructing everything that happened to me as a kid. And it's been a passion of mine to really speak out for the kids because it affects you throughout your life if you do this wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I've loved about your commentary and learning about you through this experience has been that you were the child in a household affected by a miserable marriage. And you and I have kind of shared a lot of relatable experiences and how our parents, you know, emotional dysregulation has kind of bled into us as children and how we've gone about changing the way that Mm -hmm. we approach our own relationships. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in the household that you grew up in? My parents divorced in 1995. I was born in 87. So I didn't have a lot of time with my parents married. My brother is four years older, so he has more memories of how bad it was. I don't have those memories like Chris does. My brother, he has told me several things. My mom struggles with mental illness in a very big way. And our therapists, even though they don't see her, have said things along the lines of she is, you know, she could have borderline personality disorder. She could have schizophrenia, bipolar. She definitely has narcissistic traits. So it was a childhood full of anxiety, a lot of tiptoeing, a lot of eggshells. There are moments where She was the most loving mother and the most nurturing mom. She definitely has mama bear moments, and that's the the stuff that I have to hang on to. But on the flip side, there was a lot of emotional dysregulation, and Chris and I were very much responsible to regulate her. And then after my parents divorced, you know, dad regulated her until they got divorced, and then he was like washing his hands of this. But then Chris and I are still. We're the grownups now having to regulate this woman. So it was like, great, you've checked out, but what about us? (laughs) So I see you've got this taken care of for you, but I'm eight. So you felt like you weren't capable. Let me freaking tell you how incapable I was of handling my mother. Did not have the tools. Still don't. We don't have a great relationship now. I've had to move states away from her. My brother has as well. We just, we do the best we can. We are both in extensive therapy. (laughs) But it was chaotic. I remember a lot of stomach aches. (laughs) 
Do you think it would have been helpful to you in childhood had your parents sought therapy not only for themselves, but also given that resource to you as a child? Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that connects individuals interested in talk therapy with therapists. I think that talk therapy is helpful because it allows you to intentionally carve out time for yourself to unpack your own thoughts, experiences, and feelings and have an outside perspective to help you make better decisions in the future. I have many personal experiences with BetterHelp. One of my favorite personal experiences is when I gifted a membership to a personal friend and she still utilizes that same therapist that she initially found seven years later. BetterHelp is an amazing option for anybody who is curious about therapy and what it is like. BetterHelp has offered our listeners a discount of 10% for their first month if they utilize the link that is in the show description. The link is betterhelp.com slash the other woman. You will get 10% off your first month and you will also be supporting our podcast. We want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. It's interesting you bring that up. I was in therapy in high school it was not very helpful because I didn't feel safe, to be honest, with my therapist because I was so focused on not hurting my mom. And I mean, I know my therapist wasn't going to go and say anything to her, but I still had this loyalty towards my mom because dad left. I can't put her in a bad situation. I would lie to my dad about how bad it was. He would ask me all the time, like, how are things at your mom's? Are you doing okay? Because I lived with her and I would visit with him because, and that was my choice as a kid because my mom manipulated me into living with her. I just had this very big sense of duty and also being raised in a really religious home. Her favorite thing to tell me is you, you need to honor your parents. And I'm like, okay, well, you guys always forget the second half of that verse where it says, and do not bring your child to anger which they're great at. <laughs> so I went to therapy off and on. I never felt empowered to tell the truth in order to work through these things because I knew that I wasn't the problem. I knew my parents were the problem and I knew that they would not be committed to fixing themselves. So what was the point? My dad and his second wife dragged my brother to therapy because they thought he was the problem. And the therapist was like, actually – he's not the problem. I need you to come in and have therapy. And my dad was willing. He's gone off and on. My ex-stepmother was not. She was very much, this is not my problem. I'm not the problem. I've never been the problem. You know, Chris is the problem. Katie's the problem. So if your child doesn't have the ability to be completely vulnerable, it's pointless. <laughs> if they feel there's going to be any sort of reprimand punishment for what they say in therapy or what goes on in therapy or if they feel that they will be disloyal, it's not going to work. It's not effective. No, not even a little bit. And even now as adults, <laughs> Chris and I. And Chris sunny. is your brother, just yes, so the Chris, listeners know. Chris yes, is your brother. Chris is my brother. He's a lot better about boundaries and protecting his peace than I am. So I've learned a lot from him. But you know that there's an episode of Bob's Burgers where Bob goes, Lynn, I think I had a bad childhood. And she's like, yeah, I know. People who stand like that don't have good childhoods. Like that's me. It's me, my brother. Like when I finally realized it sounds ridiculous, but I was 30 when I was like, holy shit, I had a bad childhood. 
And then Chris was like, yeah, yeah, you did. People with good childhoods don't act like us. (laughs) Can you expand a little bit on act like us? Everything is a joke. We have very dark humor. We're incredibly sarcastic. Chris and I, it's funny at our attachment styles. We had, you know, the a very similar childhood, but I am very anxiously attached and he is a dismissive. And it might just be because of birth order. You know, he's the oldest. He has an extreme amount of responsibility. And then I was the baby. So I was doted on and I was definitely daddy's little girl and still am to this day. And I also just want to point out my dad initiated my parents' divorce and I am closest to him. And there was a long time that I was upset with him and angry with him, but it wasn't because they got divorced. It was because nothing got better. It made my life harder because my mom was angrier after the divorce and I was with the angry parent. So she still hangs on to this today. She never remarried. They divorced in 95. She still says things like, well, when your father got rid of me, like, you know, those little manipulative, passive aggressive comments, those are hard for a 10 year old to hear. And it just I remember it boring a hole in my stomach and I would just like, "Okay, now we have to switch lanes and I have to fix her mood because, I mean, it's a survival thing. So Chris and I. Going back to how did it, how can you tell we had a bad childhood? One, we don't really have great relationships with our parents. I have a good relationship with my dad, but that's it. Chris has, I would say Chris stays in touch with our parents for my sake. He doesn't want me to have to deal, especially with elder care and aging parents. My parents are boomers. Definitely. They were born in 54 and 58. Last year, my dad had a quadruple bypass. You know, my mom is really failing. And so Chris, I think, stays in touch with them periodically for me because he loves me and doesn't want me to have to handle this on my own. But I'm pretty sure if I wasn't there, he would be like, "Okay, bye. (laughs) Protect my peace. Yeah, basically. Oh, he's all about like protect my peace. Like I will shut this down. (laughs) But your well-being is a part of his peace. And I think that is so sweet. It is, but it's begrudgingly, I would say. (laughs) He's very much like, I love my sister. And it's so funny when he started therapy because he was always resistant to it because he was just like, it's fine. Like, I had a bad childhood. I'm over it. It's not a big deal. Like, people don't love me, blah, da, 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 da. It was funny. My sister-in-law, his wife, would say, you know, I thought we were doing okay with this whole dismissive thing. But then, like, out of nowhere, he started getting really angry. And she's like, oh, okay. So like you do have to process all of this because Becca and I, my sister-in-law are very, we're expressive. We talk about our feelings. And Chris is like, you just have to get over it. And I was like, oh, well, it looks like somebody's not over that daddy doesn't love you. (laughs) I love you. And his, his therapist was like, I think that you were probably parentified around age five. Would you say that's accurate? What happened? And Chris is like, Well, yeah, a new baby came into the family and somebody had to be the adult. (laughs) And that baby was me. And it's very true. Like I, to this day, I say my brother raised me. He was my protector. He was my moral compass. He's the person who taught me how to survive this dynamic. We have this unhealthy way of attaching to other people where Chris, everybody is disposable. I mean, except for his wife. He adores his wife. That is the best marriage I've ever seen in my life. 
I envy it. <laughs> I love it. And if it were to ever end, I would probably pick my sister-in-law over. <laughs> How special. That is so special. I love that. I love whenever I the bond becomes so thick, you know? I know. Like we call each other every day. Like, And they live in Washington and I live in Georgia. And so like we are just knit together because Chris and I have this bond of nobody knows what it's like to be Ed and Luann's kids. And People around us knew how bad our family was and how bad my parents were. Nobody felt empowered to do a thing. And I've I held on to a lot of anger about that until honestly this year because I found out later. Also, don't keep secrets from your adult children. Adults need to have conversations with their adult children about what happened because I've been thinking one thing my whole life and then come to find out, oh my God, that's not true at all. What was it? My mom's older sister lived down the road and she was there for everything she grew up with. I mean, I grew up with her down the road from me, spent a lot of time with her. And I was just like, why didn't she ever step in to stop like my mom treating us like this, emotionally abusing us, things like that? Uh -huh. Nobody ever said anything. And then I come to find out that actually when my parents got divorced, it was set up with the court that my aunt was the chaperone and for supervised visitation with my mom because she wasn't well. And she actually went to the court and said that I don't believe my sister should ever have custody of her children. And the court didn't listen to her. Katie. Yeah. Yeah. Holy so there's shit. that. That's a big bomb, right? So I've That's been like mad. bomb. I love my aunt so much. I'm named after her, but it's like I kind of wanted to be like, oh, so like you stuck your head in the sand as you watched me get verbally and emotionally abused my entire childhood. And then now I'm coming to it like she did as much as she legally could do. And then she stayed close and helped be a part of my upbringing to minimize the damage. But she couldn't stop it. Like she did all she could. And with my mom being, you know, mentally ill and she doesn't see things correctly, she gets paranoid and gets in her head about things and then cooks up these ridiculous stories and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's a full time job keeping my mom on earth, you know, and Kathy had her own kids and her own marriage and her own life. And she still took the time to make sure that I was OK. And I even texted her this year and I was like. I owe you an apology, even if you don't know that I do, because I've been mad at you my whole life because I felt like nobody wanted to protect me. And I found out you did. And she said, I love my sister, but no child deserves to go through what you and your brother went through. And so she stayed as close as she could. And I will be forever grateful for that. I mean, she couldn't do more because of our legal system in the 90s, especially. Yeah, the um, 90s were hell for the system. Oh, I know. It's interesting because my sister-in-law has siblings who were adopted from a really terrible situation. And like the foster care laws in Iowa are written because of them, like because their cases were handled so poorly and these poor children were so it was a whole thing. But like, I don't want to say good came out of it. But good came out of it. Like kids are now more protected because of these kids. That's something really great. And unfortunately, <laughs> I wasn't like there were no like nowadays. And I don't know what it's like in other states, but in Iowa, they have like a children in the middle, like course you have to take. 
and get a certificate. It's like a one-day course of like, hey, don't put your kids in the middle of your divorce. Don't be assholes, essentially. And you have to do that in order for you to even be eligible to have custody of your kids. That was not required when my parents were getting divorced. I'll tell you that. Also wouldn't have done any good for our situation, but it definitely wasn't required. So there's that. You know, it's really interesting that you shared that your dad was the one who filed mm-hmm. for divorce because usually it is not the man who files Mm-mm. for divorce. It's usually the woman. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, as we're speaking so openly with other listeners who are in this struggle of indecision, right? Nobody mm-hmm. wants to take a child away from their mother. Nobody right. wants to remove a child from their parent. Mm-hmm. That's a really big deal. How do you think your dad could have better supported you in childhood when he made the decision to divorce? I believe that my dad should have. I love my dad. I know people are going to be listening to this. I love my dad more than anything. But he is a very weak man. He really struggles with confrontation and doing maybe what is best but not popular. And this has been struggles with his second and third marriage as well. He wants to keep the peace. He wants things to be easy, and he thinks if it's easiest, that it's best. So in their divorce, he wanted to protect Chris and I at the beginning. So he has to pay my mom alimony for the rest of her life because she gave up full custody of us. That was like the trade-off. Basically, my dad bought us because he didn't feel safe with her having his children full-time. But then he felt that she had healed enough and done enough mental health work because she did do a little and she did get better because she had a whole psychotic break when that led up to my dad divorcing and filing. There was an incident one night. There was a domestic violence incident against my dad from my mom and the police were called. My mom was arrested. It was a whole thing. But she had a psychotic break. My dad did not feel safe with us being with her. So he paid for it essentially. And I think that if he would have just kept that original custody order instead of Chris and I going to him and asking two years later to go back and live with our mom, she still lived in the town that we were living in prior. We had friends there. Our whole lives were there because my dad moved us to a different town after the divorce. And, you know, we didn't really fit in very well. It wasn't familiar. It was hard. I think if he would have kept that original agreement. And remained in full custody of the children. Yeah, I think that quite possibly at least I would have been less affected. Now, it's interesting because when we went to high school, Chris started high school when I was in fifth grade. He moved in with my dad and my dad lived three hours away. So Chris lived with dad and then I lived with mom. So... But my brother still has a lot of mental health trauma because of living with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of mental health trauma from living with my mom. I feel that if my dad would have taken the time to properly heal, to do a lot of inner work on himself through therapy and stuff like that, to really see why he chose, like, you know, why did you choose my mom in the first place to get married? I know that he loved my mother when they got married. And You know, you look at the pictures of them and they were so in love and so sweet and their dating and engagement was short and it was a whirlwind romance and just they were enamored with each other. 
And then through my dad's medical school and residency and all of these things, it just, everything fell apart. And my mom's mental health just wasn't taken care of. And that just spiraled out of control and it's out of control to this day. But I think if my dad would have, he even said to me, he said, you think about your kids a lot when you make big decisions, like about a job that I have or moving or school districts or anything that affects my kids. He's like, I don't think I thought about you guys enough in making these decisions. And I'm sorry, because I mean, he was raised where kids are an afterthought for sure. And his parents are parents who should have gotten divorced. Let me tell you, holy bananas. Like Ed and Joy, love them as grandparents. They should not ever have gotten married. They should have not have stayed married. They should never have had kids. They are the most toxic couple till they died. My granddad was accusing my Nana of cheating on him. And like granddad, she has stage four cancer and like she can't. She's not. What? What? Okay. So like never healed from those wounds. You know, like my dad grew up in that. So then my dad, I think, was very much like, I have to get my kids out of this toxic environment like ASAP. So he moved very quickly. And I want to go on record and saying my parents should absolutely be divorced. To this day, people are like, oh, my God, those are your parents. Like they can't see my parents together ever. And I'm kind of in that spot, too, where like my dad is like Frazier and my mom is like Mrs. Roper. Like, can you imagine? No. Right. And so people are like, what the fuck? And I'm kind of like, yeah, right. Look at what it made. It's not good. <laughs> Based on your experience, when do you think people should call it in a relationship? At what point? From a kid perspective, that's hard. Because, you know, your kids always want mom and dad to be together. Like in an ideal world, Ed and Luann would have figured shit out and I would have an intact family and I wouldn't have stepmom drama and I wouldn't have to deal with Luann and all of her shit. <laughs> yeah. But I think the best time to do it is before you hate each other. You know when relationships are starting to fall. You can tell like the vibe is off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I know men are often will be like, well, I had no idea. Like, mm, did you, Brad? I think you did. This shouldn't be too shocking. But I mean, you can't control the other person. You know, you can't control their reaction to things. You can't control how much they're willing to face the music. So I think once you find yourself, I don't want to say picking fights, but yeah, like kind of picking fights, trying to make it worse so that you have a valid excuse to leave. You got to assess that behavior and be like, am I fighting with my spouse? Am I picking at my spouse? Am I doing stupid crap because I don't want to have that come to Jesus conversation? Like people, I think it'll be easier if you hate each other to say I want a divorce instead of lovingly coming to them and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm unhappy and I love you. And that's why I want to let you go. Especially when you have kids, you don't even have to frame it as a divorce or an end. You can always frame it as we're transitioning. Mom and dad were a couple and we're in love for a really long time because a child always needs to feel like whether it's a lie or not, that they were made in love. Children innately need to feel that their parents created you in a good circumstance. <laughs> and whether or not that's a lie, I personally feel like that's something a child needs until they're an adult and can really 
analyze and dissect that adult relationships are complicated. And I feel that you need to at least start having those really real conversations of, hey, this sucks and I don't like this and this isn't what I envisioned for my marriage and I want better for you because I love you. My parents to this day will still say, I love your mom because she gave me you. My dad married my mom. He proposed to her. There is something in you, in the other parent that you saw that you loved. My, my neighbor is going through this really terrible divorce that's been going on for over two years and they still have to live together because they can't agree on a parenting plan. And in Georgia, you have to agree on a parenting plan before you can separate because otherwise it's considered abandonment. God, it's I, awful. That's a it's a horrible law. Horrible law. And I mean, on one side, I can understand thinking, hey, you know, in non-domestic violence situations, they need to agree on how they're going to handle their kids to make sure the kids are taken care of. But you're talking but, about two people who likely don't agree on anything. Correct. And they hate each other. And so like I have these kiddos down the street that I look at them and I see my brother and myself and I am so close to their mom and she knows my whole history. And so I've been able to be like, no, they can come over whenever. They don't even have to call. They don't have to knock. They have the code to my house. I didn't have a safe place. They have a safe place. My home is calm. My home is quiet. There is no and chaos. she's divorcing. Yeah, there's no chaos. She's divorcing a narcissist too. And so like the things he says sound like what my mom says. So I'm just like, I'm down here helping her like type up emails and stuff like, no, this is how you're going to respond. And he's going to hate it. It's like, <laughs> it's cathartic for me because I can't do that to my mom and I can do it for him and not have any repercussions. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I mean, you have to have that really honest conversation of I love you and I love myself and I love us enough to either fix it and be very serious about fixing it or ending it and transitioning into a friendship. These two friends, you can be best friends and have kids. You may find a whole new relationship with your spouse after divorce that's even better than before. It's more honest than before. Because I'm sure you get to that point when you're in a marriage where you're like, I, I can't have this conversation with him because it hurts. And when you're friends, you don't have that that forever on your back being like all that pressure of this has to work where it's like when you have kids together, it's just a different relationship altogether. And then, you know, having to deconstruct all the religious bullshit that I had on top of everything and being told that my dad was an adulterer and he's going to hell because they got, you know, that garbage on top of all of that. So there's that. So, Katie, you had mentioned that your dad decided to remarry after divorce. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like developing a relationship with a stepmother and what was that experience like for you? It was awful. It was awful because I felt very forced and I did not have a supportive mom at all. I have actually had two stepmothers. So my first stepmother, they married in 97. She had no children of her own. She was also very religious and they got married. She was actually my nanny. My dad hired her to be our nanny, but I think they had started a relationship before that. My dad was like, oh, well, I'm moving and I need help and blah. Anywho, so then they got married. I was not encouraged by my mother to have a good relationship with her. 
I had to keep things very quiet, very secret just for survival sake, essentially. Like I could never talk about her. I could never talk about anything like that. She also wasn't a good person. Maybe my mom was right about that. (laughs) I came to find out as an adult in discussions with my dad that she would withhold sex from my dad based on my behavior when I visited. And yeah, that's kind of fucked up, right? That's so fucking weird. Right? And I told my dad as an adult, I said, I have always felt like I am in competition with the women that you marry. And he said, well, it's probably because Angela, his ex-wife, did put you in competition. I was like, I wasn't fighting for a seat at the table. I'm your daughter. That seat is permanent. Sorry. And so coming to find out later that, yeah, she was in competition. She hated me. And I think it was, you know, my dad would later say, when they got divorced, he was like, you know, if you have a problem with your partner having kids, you should figure that out before you get married. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was one of those things where he thought she was fine with it and maybe she actually wasn't. And maybe she didn't know she wasn't okay with it. Maybe she thought she was. And then the day-to-day of it, she wasn't. They've been divorced since 2007. I was a freshman in college when they got divorced, thank God. She's never remarried. She moved back to her hometown. Just a whole very odd situation. She actually threw my brother out of the house when he was a senior in high school. My dad was on call. He's a physician. He was on call, and so he was at the hospital that day. My mom called the house because it was, you know, the early 2000s. So Chris had just gotten a cell phone for high school graduation. So she called the house phone. She wanted to talk to Chris. And he was asleep and Angela answered the phone, my stepmom, and my mom was just like, hi, can I talk to Chris? And she lit into my mom saying, like, you, you're so rude. You never ask me how I am. Blah, da, da, da. I'm like, why should she? That's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. But OK, it's ridiculous. Dude, so- the management of expectations is just wild among adults who have not educated themselves. So, yeah, the idea that, you know you're disappointed that you called this boomer mentality like that I didn't realize was boomer mentality until now where I'm just like oh you're serious oh my god okay so then she hangs up on my mom and I remember this because I was in the bathtub I was in the bathtub at my mom's house and she came into the bathroom I'm you know naked as a jaybird in the bathtub my mom was so fucking floored that this happened she opens up the door without even knocking and she goes I think your stepmom hung up on me. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, I just immediately, like, fell apart on the inside because I was like, shit's hitting the fan. And this was two weeks before my brother was moving to college. So then mom calls Chris's cell phone because she's like, oh, that's right. Chris has a cell phone. I'll just call his cell phone. Mm -hmm. So she called his cell phone and he answers and she tells him what happened. And so Chris goes out and confronts her like, did you just do this? And then she lit into my brother, started screaming at him how ungrateful he is, how terrible person he is, all of this shit. And so she throws Chris out. Essentially, she's like, your shit will be on the lawn in the morning. And Chris is like, "Okay, bye, bitch. And so he goes and he lives with one of his friends for a couple of days. And then since my dad, like I said, is a, a pretty weak man, he just let it happen. And that 100% destroyed his relationship with Chris. And that took a long time to rebound. They did not divorce for, God, that happened in 2002. They divorced in 2007. So then, you know, being a kid and you're picking that 
over your kid. I, I couldn't imagine. I even told my brother, like, because there's been some things that my dad's siblings have done and said to Chris and I, where dad tries to stay neutral in Switzerland. And I was like, you know what, Chris, you ever did this to one of my kids? I'm done with you. He's like, oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And plus, Chris would never cross that boundary anyway. He would never do the things <laughs> like because we have these boundaries of respect, you know. And then he got remarried in 2009. That transition has been easier because we're adults. And I was actually married before they got married. There was drama surrounding that because I did not invite her to my wedding because I had to. First of all, I just want to say my dad was married to somebody else when I got engaged. So I got engaged. He's married to my first stepmom. I'm getting married and now he's engaged to my second stepmom. So like, excuse me for not like crossing out the wedding invitation and putting her name on it. Like that was ridiculous. And I was 20. You know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to navigate and I'm trying to manage everybody's feelings and my in-laws are awful. So I had to manage their expectations too. And I am a kid <laughs> doing this. I cannot imagine putting this much on my 20-year-old child. I cannot. <sighs> and so my wedding had very little drama on my side of the family. So that's good. I made a good choice and my stepmom not being invited. I got married in November of 08. They were married in April of 2009. And then my brother was married in September of 2009. So Chris and Becca decided that they would invite his wife to their wedding. You know, and we all had a pretty good relationship at this point. And then there was drama for Chris and Becca because of her inclusion. And there has been issues ever since. Pam has this, my stepmom has this way of running off her mouth and getting involved in relationships she shouldn't be involved in putting in her two cents, flying in, fucking everything up, and then leaving, and then never apologizing. And that's what happened with Chris and Becca with their wedding. So they kind of got over that and moved along. And then his wife, my dad's wife, Pam, has never really taken to me. And I feel like it's a, another competition thing, but not in a weird, sick, twisted way that my other stepmom was. It's more of a, that's Ed's baby that's Ed's princess and I can't touch. I can't say anything negative about her. I can't talk anything about her because Ed's going to defend her till the cows come home. I mean, he won't do it to my face, like defend me in person. But like, I think it's one of those things where he just shuts down the conversation because my dad shuts down when he's confronted with something he doesn't like. And so I think she's just kind of been conditioned to be like, okay, I don't bring up Katie or anything that I have concerns about with Katie because Ed won't entertain it. That's kind of nice to know on my end, but it definitely – she definitely has this boomer mentality. Yes. Like we had this incident with her a year and a half ago. My dad went in to get a stint put in and they found a widow maker in his heart. He had so much blockage in his heart and it was scary. So he had to have a quadruple bypass and then have like a fifth stint put in. And it was very, it was scary. Like my dad is my support. He is my stronghold. I can't imagine my life without him. I am, he's in my phone as daddy still, and I'm 36 years old. Because <laughs> I mean, he's my dad. He's my daddy. And I still Katie. call him daddy. Yeah, Me I am. Too. Oh my God, shut the hell up. <laughs> no. And somebody made fun of me for it. And so then yes. I changed his name oh, to no. popcorn in my phone because that's what my kids call him. And then that is one adorable. night I got drunk and I changed it back. I was like, no, he's Good. fucking daddy. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My sister-in-law's like, that's creepy. I'm like, you're fucking creepy. Like, this is the one thing I have. Don't let me give it up. Yeah, I'm Um, not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Not ready. Well, and like at the same time, too, like my mom called her parents mother and daddy. Like (laughs) until the day they died, it was mother and daddy. It was all of the girls called their parents that. It was hilarious. Because my grandmother was very stiff and rigid and classy. And then there's God, my grand, I love my the grandpa. daughter dad bond so much. It really I is do like, too. oh, it's the best. I love watching my daughter and my husband, like their little bond, because it is like she's 11 now. You know, she's moody and a tween and all this shit. And she, I don't know, she hates me 90% of the time. So that's fine. But Dude. she comes down for breakfast and like Tanner has her like cradled. Like cradled, like she's like a freaking infant and he's got her in the fridge and he's cradling her like this. Like, what do you want for breakfast? And I'm like, relish it. <laughs> you know, <I> yes. was, <laughs> like on one side, I was like, oh, fuck. on the other side, I'm like, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. It's so sweet. Yeah. We have a note but, on yeah. Stan's bedside table right now. Stan came home drunk the other night. One of our daughters woke up and so yeah. she wrote a note and slipped it under the door and it says can i help you daddy oh my god that's so adorable framing it (laughs) so freaking cute oh my god and it's just you know that bond like and especially when you're thinking of when you bring in a step parent you have to be on the same page you have to have really tough conversations it's more than just the two of you because i think my dad has even said that if him and pam had to raise children together that they would not be married because Mm -hmm. I don't think that he agrees with how she raised her son, which is very different than how Chris and I were raised and the values that were instilled in Chris and I. And Pam and her son do not have a great relationship. Mm -hmm. She's very much a hoverer. She very much babies him, all of this stuff. And he feels very smothered, which is why he lives across the country. Like last Thanksgiving, he spent Thanksgiving with my dad, not his dad, not his mom, my dad. So I mean, I think that says something about his relationship with his parents. I think it's complicated. You find your person, you really want to spend your life with them. And you think that it's going to be okay because mom or dad have found the one and I'm finally going to be happy. But like they have to agree to love your child as much as you love your child. And that is very hard to find. It is one of those things where, I mean, I don't know how to blend a family. My dad can't do it. So then going back to my dad's quadruple bypass, my stepmom has always had a problem with the fact my dad is still paying my mom alimony all these years later. And she was saying, and I'm you knew that when you married him. So like also not my fucking problem. Manage your own expectations, lady. Right. And this is not my goddamn job. She got drunk one night and she started texting Chris and I basically saying that my brother was a bad son and because he couldn't come out for my dad's surgery. Because my brother was in the middle of adopting a child. So he couldn't leave, you know, Seattle. He needed to stay with his family and made his family the priority. And Pam basically said, okay, well, I guess I'm on my own then, blah, da, 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 da. And, you know, we're looking at your dad needing to retire early. And there's a lot of, you know, financial expectations. And she called me and she was talking about her son's inheritance. And I'm like, Pam, why are you talking to me about this? And she was starting to slur her words and everything. And so then the next morning, I sent a group text to everybody. And I included Pam and my dad and my brother and my sister-in-law and my husband, who didn't want to be included in any of this. And I just said, okay, first of all, what happened last night? And she sent these texts at like midnight. 
Like what happened last night will not be happening ever again because conversations about my parents' marriage and that financial arrangement have nothing to do with Chris and I. Mm -hmm. We were children in this arrangement. We are going to stay children in this arrangement. That is between those two. Any discussions about my dad's career cannot happen without my dad. He's having a bypass. He doesn't have Alzheimer's for Christ's sake. Like he can make his own decisions. Mm -hmm. My brother sent him an email. He like was, we had screenshots. We sent them all. We tattled like there was no other because Chris is just like, I don't expect you to do anything about this, but this isn't helpful. Like this is not productive, especially right now when we're dealing with open heart surgery. And I just wanted you to be aware of it. So she has not spoken to my brother since she has called because my brother like put down, he put down boundaries and saying this is inappropriate. This is unacceptable. You cannot speak to us like this. And she got offended and she refuses to apologize, even though she was very clearly in the wrong. And I've had conversations with my dad, very blunt ones of him saying, you know, if you want to fix this with Chris, she has to apologize. And my poor dad is like, I cannot make her do that. I don't disagree with you, but I can't force her to do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, I understand you can't force her to do that, but this is the outcome that's going to come from it because Chris doesn't deserve an apology because my brother is not a bad son. Chris and I have put up with so much shit from our parents, and I think my dad recognizes that. So like even this year for my brother's birthday, which was just like last week, my dad sent him a secret birthday card that was just from my dad. And it had like this really sweet, heartfelt message in it about how proud he is of my brother and how he's so happy about the the decisions he's made in his life and the life he's created for himself. And it was just signed from dad. And then two days later, he gets another birthday card that has no sweet message in it whatsoever, but signed by both dad and Pam. And I was like, Chris, you got a secret birthday card? Like <sighs> that is my birthday present because the tea is piping hot. Like. Merry Christmas and happy birthday to Katie. I don't need anything this year. Dude, like, for real. I yes. love, I really do love those. I don't know why it's like this guilty pleasure or something when your mm -hmm. biological parent says something to you that they won't say in front of your step parent. Yes. And there are a lot of things I am finding. And that is kind of where I'm just like, Oh, so like maybe your marriage isn't perfect. You want everyone to think that you finally have found the one because actually my dad and my stepmom were high school sweethearts. And my mom was the rebound from my stepmom breaking up with my dad right out of high school. They always talk about how like our stars were always aligned and it was just the time, but all this bullshit. And I'm like, okay, well, like my life had to be kind of ruined so you guys could have a happily ever after. So maybe talk about that less. <laughs> this is a thought. Then I think my dad's having to do some thought, some thinking of how did I get in this situation again? Because he knows that Chris and I are not the problem. Chris and I have gone to therapy and, you know, he's very proud of us for having done that. And I've told my dad, I said, I think Pam has some childhood trauma that she needs to work through because she has some really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I think it would all do our family a lot of good. And I think you, my dad, could, you know, benefit from that. And he was just like, she won't go. Because her ex-husband is a psychologist. So she he's not she's not gonna go ever. So I'm like, oh, okay. So this is just where you're gonna be stuck then. Those personal biases, man, they yes. really do lead us into tricky waters, don't they? They do. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're unaware of it, like then it kind of just controls your life. Oh, for sure. And like I can see the same like patterns, you know, and humans, we love to look for patterns. 
And so then just like sitting back and looking at my dad, I'm like, you've married the same woman three times and it still doesn't work. It's crazy. And not that we're going to go into psychoanalyzing your dad, but (laughs) I would like to ask a question about your perception of him. Would you consider your dad codependent? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I thought so. 100%. That man cannot be alone. He could not. He has never cheated, but he gets them lined up real quick. When one is over, he's like, I can't let these sheets cool. And I'm not saying that I'm not. I mean, I think I'm codependent to a degree, and it's definitely something I'm working on. My dad, I don't think, recognizes that, but I do, you know. So there's and like my sister-in-law, she started reading a book about codependency and to be like to learn more about my dad, you know, mm-hmm. and this interaction. She's just like, holy shit, this book is about me. <laughs> it's so wild. Those of us who think that we escape childhood unscathed are operating in the world with a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. I would also like to just put this out there. You can raise your child in the most nurturing environment and they will not come out unscathed. My mm-hmm. sister-in-law was raised by a two-parent home and she said, I had a good childhood, you know? She did. Mm-hmm. She still has crap from her childhood that comes up because we're humans and relationships are messy. And when you don't want to do that really hard introspective work because nobody likes going to therapy, I'm like, I don't love it. I like I put my appointments off. I fucking hate it because I'm like, I suck. Oh, my God. I am fucked up. But it's like I've heard someone else say, too, like your trauma is not your fault, but it's your responsibility to fix it. And I am very dedicated to fixing that. So I don't bleed onto my children. They're not going to they need new traumas, you know, like (laughs) they need I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be something. It's going to be COVID. It's going to be the pandemic. Oh, they have to be a lot. Pandemic. Yeah. My God. They true. have their own experiences and they're exactly. going to handle their own trauma. Yeah. Exactly. So <sighs> just give your kids new different trauma. Don't give them the same stuff that you have. I heard someone once say, like, you aren't going to be able to eliminate any possibility of trauma for your children. But mm-hmm. if you do want to give them a leg up, apologize. Yes. I have talked to my therapist about, you know, she's saying, what do you need from your parents? I said, I need validation. Mm -hmm. I know I won't even get an apology. I know I won't. I just need them to admit it hurt me. That's it. Mm -hmm. And my dad has given that to me. And now I can say to him, I had a bad childhood. And he can say, yes, you did. Instead of saying, oh, well, I was a terrible dad, wasn't I? You could have had it so much worse. No, he just stops now and he says, yes, you did. And that's all I need. I have a good relationship with my dad now because he can validate me. Where my mom, she'll be like, well, what else was I supposed to do? What did you expect me to do? Oh, it wasn't that bad. It could have been so much worse. Yeah, no, guess which lawyer I don't talk to. The one who won't validate my experience. Yes, so good, so good. So Katie, when you and I met during the pre-interview, you had shared a very, almost it seemed like a core memory for you of you being in the backseat with your brother. And I think that there is something profound in the sibling relationships when there is chaos inside the home. Do you mind sharing that with listeners? I would love to. As a backstory, my grandparents lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and we always went down for the Derby every year. 
And because we lived in Iowa, so it was about an eight hour car ride. And I am allergic to lilacs. And my grandmother's backyard has probably 15 lilac bushes. So I was a very sniffly 10 year old. We were in the Tahoe on the way back from my grandparents. And this was with my first stepmother. I swear to God, we were not even out of their neighborhood on this eight-hour car ride home. And she turned around and she's like, don't you have any Kleenexes? Just like that. And I was like, all of a sudden, anxiety filled my little tiny body. And I was like, no. And so she said, yeah, well, you need to blow your nose because I don't want to have to listen to all the way home. And she was like yelling at me. I'm 10. You're the adult. Do you have Kleenexes? And I was like, I don't have any Kleenexes. And then she begrudgingly, like she was doing me a goddamn favor, gave me one Kleenex. And I was crying because she was yelling at me. And my dad was just driving and didn't stop her, didn't say anything, didn't interject and say, you need to chill or it's not that big of a deal or, hey, here's a whole thing fucking box of Kleenexes. No, he just kept driving as she berated me. And I was I was sobbing. I was so upset. My brother, who would have been maybe a freshman in high school at the time, he there were captain's chairs in the back of the Tahoe. So I was in behind my dad and he was over here and he unbuckled his seatbelt and he got down on the floor next to me and hugged me to get me to stop crying because obviously the crying was making the sniffling worse. And he gave me one of his earbuds so that I could listen to his, quote, dad-hating music with him. Like, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was like Everclear or so, you know, some early 2000s Blink-182 stuff. We did that for about an hour until we were in Indiana. And then finally, Krista got me calmed down and my dad stopped at a rest stop and he got me out of the car. And I remember getting out of the car and just being like, I hate her. Why did you marry her? She's awful. Blah, He's like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Like my dad was just trying to contain stuff until we could get home because he just wanted to get home where my brother stepped in, where my dad was too weak to do that. My brother took my dad role and he has done that ever since. Every disappointment, every fucking mistake I've made, Chris has been my constant. And we were forged in this fire together. No one knows what we went through but us. And so nobody understands him like I do. And nobody understands me like he does. I love that so much. I love that story so much. I think like that story to me just like really makes it clear that adults are the ones who make children believe that they are an inconvenience to the world. And then those children grow up and they think that their existence is an inconvenience to the world. And I'm so glad that you had people who were able to love you in that and uh, you still have them. I do too. Thank you so much for Me coming too. on to the I'm, podcast, Katie. I am forever grateful for my brother. Me too. I'm grateful for your brother. Thank Please you. tell him I said thanks. Seriously. <laughs> I will. I love Don't worry. so much. Like, I love whenever the kids can come together and really, you know, help each other in foreign circumstances. You know, nobody tells you what it's like to be a kid inside of a home affected by divorce, affected by emotionally dysregulated adults. No. And... You guys took the freaking high road and uh, you guys are thriving in your own families and in your own individual experiences in life. And I'm so happy about that. If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the other women community. 
The Other Women Community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. 